0: Hey everyone, I'm Joe Lonsdale. Really excited to have my friend Ashton Kutcher here today. Ashton, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Joe. <laughs> I uh
0: I wanna I want I to talk to so this podcast about optimism, of course. And and you, you grew up in in Iowa in, in poverty uh, and uh and yet you you pursued I guess you tried to, it was a biomedical engineering degree, was that right that you were pursuing it uh at you know Iowa University after that?
1: I, I did go for a biochemical uh, engineering okay. uh, degree and and I wouldn't say that I grew up in poverty uh, I, I would say that I grew up paycheck to paycheck um, mm-hmm. and well my parents were paycheck to paycheck um, and I mean granted we, we stood in line uh, a couple times for some cheese and powdered milk but um, but you know 67 percent of the United States is paycheck to paycheck so I actually I, I think like the reframing of that is pretty necessary um, because that's actually what most people consider middle class. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and, and and I think we considered ourselves middle class, um, even though it, it was paycheck to paycheck. It, we, we were the, the gracious recipients of the end of trickle down uh, economy like the very tail end where you're only getting tiny drops
0: and and, and you and you you obviously really successful now I in modeling and acting investing and i mean i remember the 2013 the 2013 teen speech awards which teen choice awards which i might not have watched but which we looked up you, you you talked about the importance of hard work and i remember you telling me about the hard work actually to make modeling work which people might think is funny people don't usually think of modeling as involving hard work was that was that a big part of the upper mobility for you or, or what do you attribute your success too. like why were you able to kind of kind of t- pull out of that and, and, and do extremely
1: well so i i had a job my my first job was as an eight-year-old uh working on construction sites oh, wow. um, and it was how i got to see my dad um so my dad had two jobs to keep us uh afloat and uh, so you went to work to hang out with your dad basically as the way you could see him that's amazing yeah, so when I was eight, I, I started working on construction sites. First, I started cleaning up shingles that were coming off of roofs, and uh, I was in charge of uh, uh, janitorial work, uh, and then I got the grand prize of being able to carry shingles up the ladder to the roof, which was very exciting, um, <laughs> and and then by the time I was 12, I was operating an air nailer, uh, laying down shingles, uh, uh, asphalt shingles on roofs, um, and then and then, and then I, I I I went for slightly less manual labor instead of working in a grocery store deli for a while, and then I washed dishes in a in a uh, local diner, Um, and then I worked as a mason for a little bit. Was it in. was this
0: was this normal that like were a lot of your friends doing these jobs too? Where you were from was that like a thing? A lot of kids were doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, once you turned thirteen, you could get a official like a work permit, and mm-hmm. and and and. and most of my friends all had jobs Um, and we worked and did athletics and sports and um, and then went to school Um, and so i would usually get home when i was in high school i would i would go to football practice and then after football practice i got a job at a there was a butcher nearby um, and i would go and help skin deer um, during (laughs) hunting season And then I would get home at about like 10 o'clock at night, do my schoolwork and then turn around and go to school at at six in the morning. Have you used that? Have you used that
0: skill as an adult at all to to skin a deer.
1: I have not, but I am an investor in uh, a company called crowd cow. um, And so I I know a little bit about butchering. And so I I think from all these jobs from working in a grocery store and working in uh, the, the diner and working as a Mason, working in carpentry, working in the, but like, I think I just have a really broad, uh, perspective on various industries. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I went into modeling, uh, I, I actually won a contest. I won a trip to New York when I was 19 years old, I I got there and I had my boy scout duffel bag and, uh, and a hundred dollars and, and I would, every morning I would wake up and I would walk. 40 blocks down to the modeling agency mm-hmm. in the office until they would send me out on a casting. And, huh. and so because I'd only ever worked um, non-salary jobs, my assumption was I needed to go and sit in the modeling agency for eight hours a day wow. until they would send me out on things. And so that, that was just the framework through which I looked at the job of modeling is I would wake up, walk to the agency and sit there, until they would send me out to do something. And then when I would, after I would go on a casting call, I would come back and sit in the agency.
0: But, but, but you, you, must've helped though because you got to know the people there. They must've wanted to get you more jobs because you're, you're the guy that they're hanging out with.
1: That, that was it. That was my strategy. And so, and, and, but I also learned a lot about how the agency worked. I learned a lot about how, uh, how they decided who they sent out on various castings. I learned about booking. I learned about, I, I just learned about that industry. And then, once i actually got jobs i would do the same thing i would go and learn how the fashion industry worked and just spend all day there asking questions and learning about the industry and then as an actor same thing i would show up i would get to set like yeah. as early as i could get there learn about the film industry and then do my acting job along the way and and, and which is why when i was 21 I started a production company because I was like, "Okay, I know how to do this now." You figured
0: it all out. That's cool. Would Would you want your kids working too? Then I mean, it sounds like it sounds like the work was really good for you in some ways. That obviously maybe it's a little bit tough, but it was probably you learned a lot by working as a teenager. Is that something more teenagers maybe should should go through?
1: I I believe it's like a core principle of success. Like I I read Siddhartha when I was pretty young, and Mm -hmm. and the three core principles were, you know, I can wait, I can fast, and I can work. Um, and I, I don't think, you know, what work is until you're uncomfortable. Yep. Um, I mean, you having started all the various companies you've started, you know, that you actually start working when it gets uncomfortable. Yeah. The rest of it's just fun. And when it gets uncomfortable, that's when the work starts. And it's, it's usually happens at. 10 o'clock when you're dead tired and you're pulling a, you know, three day sprint where you haven't slept um, and you realize what you're capable of. Um, And, and I think it just instills this sense that you can accomplish anything. If you're willing to work hard enough, uh, if you're willing to wait and if you're willing to fast. Um, and, And so my kids already they're four and six and they already have jobs around the house that are their jobs. And if they don't get their job done, they don't get the incentive that comes with completing that job. And there are no exceptions.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Ours are, Athena's for, I'm trying to get her to do things. I'm not as good at this yet. She's, she's actually probably better getting me to do things than I am getting her to do things right now.
1: <laughs> so we, 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 all work for our kids.
0: <laughs> yeah. We're, we're seeing how to do, I, I, I want on the topic of kids. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, I, I think it was one of the first times we met when you came up to Silicon Valley about a decade ago and, and you were trying to figure out how to, how to protect kids. That's, it's a big, it's a big topic. You, you've really focused a lot on how to, how to fight online child abuse. And, you know, obviously, Thorne at this point, I think has probably saved thousands of kids, but i want to I, w- I want to ask a little bit about that. like how how did how did you come to that this being such a big topic you wanted to focus on to be able to protect kids online and to protect kids in the real world? I think I hit a
1: point in my life where I found success, and I recognized that success doesn't just come from hard work, it also comes from luck. And because I've watched a lot of people work really really hard in their lives and never um achieve the success that i've found and when you start to feel lucky uh with your life and you start to have appreciation for it um you end up getting in a race with yourself where you recognize and realize that if you don't appreciate the things that you have they go away um and and you you start to get this sense, this internal sense that you need to do more. Um, And, and my sense was always um, that I could create some fortune for some people that are less fortunate. And, and so I was watching what Bono was doing with red uh, and fighting AIDS. And I, I realized that here was this person that had fame, notoriety, was an artist, but that parlayed all of that into doing something good for the world. Mm-hmm. And, and at the time, I was going to a lot of different charity events for this thing, that thing, and the other thing. Um, but felt like if I just laser-focused that energy towards one thing, I could actually make that kind of a difference. And around that time, I saw a Dateline special on uh, kids that were in Cambodia that were being trafficked and were being raped for profit. And I couldn't believe that that was happening in the world. And I couldn't believe that the first time I was hearing about it was as a 30-year-old man, um, that I'd spent 30 years of my life, not, not knowing that existed in the world. Um, and so then I started researching it and I came across this, uh, statistic that showed that 72% of the transactions, uh, around child sex were happening online. uh uh-huh. And at the time I'd been investing in a bunch of companies in the Valley and I watched companies in the Valley, um, disrupt a lot of businesses. Um, and, and I thought, well, what if you took that 72% of transactions that's taking place and you disrupt that business using technology? And I realized that the traffickers and the, and the people that were sharing CCM online are, are pretty sophisticated from the technological standpoint. child abuse material. child sexual abuse material yep and um and and then i started asking the smartest people i know you included um if we were going to build technology to fight back uh what would we need to build um and how do we disincentivize the individuals that are partaking in this business um this illicit business uh how, how do we make it such an uncomfortable environment that they, that those businesses can't be successful anymore.
0: And I, and, I lo- and, I, and I love that builder entrepreneur mindset. I think most people with charity, they don't really take as, as much of a, you kind of took the technology venture world mindset, which you had been exposed to through investing and through, through helping these companies and you applied it to solve this mission driven problem. So it really was kind of like founding a technology company and you, you brought a bunch of us together to help. And and, 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 you know, maybe, maybe just to hear just a little bit from you, like what kind of impact has Thorne had to date? Like, like what what have been the big wins and what are you still trying to do with it?
1: Yeah. So we, the approach that we took was uh, looking at it and seeing how far upstream we can get um, to basically detour individuals from moving into this, um, this world. And, and then, and then I, I, I went on a, a ride along with the fbi and and we started checking out what tools and what software police departments were using to find these victims yeah. and we realized that it was really antiquated software and so so we at that point decided a laser focus on building software uh as a tool to help fight this um So we have one tool called Spotlight that is used by uh, in all fifty states and law enforcement around the world to help identify trafficking victims um, Mm -hmm. and collaborate on caseload um, and prioritize caseload so that they can find the children first. Um, So that tool's been pretty efficacious, and and then uh, we realized that um, a lot of this, uh, a lot of the content for uh, CSAM child sexual abuse material um, was coming from UGC networks. And so we thought, well, maybe we can build a, a tool for enterprise to utilize in order to identify known hash child sexual abuse material, uh, remove it, report it. Um, so we built another tool that does that. Um, and to date, I don't have the exact numbers. I know that we've identified over 20,000 kids that are being sexually exploited oh,
0: it's, it's amazing because because we're not we're not only obviously you're not only on on the board of course and probably supportive but we're not only finding the existing material but you're finding new material as well and if it's new material that doesn't hash with the national center for missing and exploited children you then know it you then know that might be a a new thing in the back i just uploaded and you can contact and go, go go get them right and go save the kid
1: yeah basically we're ta- taking known images and video uh or, or unknown images and video, and, and then utilize the software to, 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 to try to put an identity to that kid. The people that are abusing these kids do a really good job of obfuscating uh, where they are, who they are. Um, and, and what we do is basically try to run uh, analysis uh, in order to determine who that kid is, and then put an identity, and then, and then help law enforcement find that individual and and, and
0: and the tech companies obviously are very nervous about privacy. So when we say this kid's being abused, can you help us find who they are? They're not all willing to help, I guess, right? Because they're afraid they're going to get in trouble and that, or how's, how's that been
1: going with that conversation? That's the toughest hurdle that we, I think as a society all have to overcome. Um, which I understand that people want privacy. Uh, I want privacy. I've lived in public for over 20 years and I understand the value of privacy very much so I've had my social security number hacked, I've had to change it it's like, it's, like I it, don't know you could count. change it, that's cool wow. uh, it's tricky and it <laughs> takes, it's, it's a long road um, but, but the uh, these kids deserve privacy too and they never consented to their sexual abuse they never consented to that image being out in the world. Um, they don't consent to their ongoing abuse and they don't consent to living a life where they never know if they're going to run into somebody who's witnessed their abuse. Yeah, And, and, and we can identify with really good specificity what those images are, where those images are, and then, take them down and we, we can live in a world where the internet does not have child sexual abuse material on it at the very least in a world that that we have an internet that doesn't have known child sexual abuse material on it but companies are under fire for privacy for good reason um, they take in our data they've sold it to people without our permission they utilize it for all kinds of things this is one thing that i think all virtually everyone would agree. We want these companies to actually identify this content and take it down. Yeah, you know,
0: I, mean, I think I, I think they would, but yeah, as you know, we're working with the European Parliament and others, where it's been really, really tough to get the get the law on our side on this one. So it it it, it is it, it is you know, I, and I come from a background of being very pro-liberty. The you know, I like I like banking liberty because I think that's how you get people to escape from bad governments sometimes and whatnot. But I I hundred percent agree. This has really taught me because there are thousands of kids that we can save. If, if you're, if you're, if you're willing willing to allow people to share this information, you know, only when they identify something that that, that's tied to an abuse image, it seems like it seems like an obvious one we should allow.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think this legislation has to be created with a scalpel and not a hatchet. Right. Uh, And, and it has to be created by people that actually understand the technology being utilized. You you know, some of the kickback has been uh, around an, an error rate on identifying this content. And you go. You know what? If if it's a if it's a photo at, if it's your family photo at the beach, and there's one of those amongst five million images that are are accurately detected as CSAM, I think most people are okay with somebody seeing their family beach photo by mistake. Yeah, yeah. And 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 this is where you know super aggressive pro privacy advocates say yeah but you give an inch and then they'll take a mile and and what we're trying to do is is create legislation that is specifically for this issue specifically to find these images and and, and most importantly specifically to find these kids and help them not get raped today yeah uh, and and right now with our tool we're finding eight kids a day That's um, amazing which like and and we are only in like five companies that are that are utilizing our tools and we
0: could be saving a lot more kids if we had just basic legislation around this well that's 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 a great policy issue i, I, th- I think we are going to win it's it's frustrating every every day that those kids are not getting saved so but but it's amazing it's amazing to work on that
1: i, you I think I, we're going to win i i know we're going to win
0: but how, how can people help with thorn by the way if people are interested in, in helping well
1: so uh first and foremost this this work doesn't get done for free. We have a, a large team that, that is growing of, of extraordinary individuals, like the best in the world at what they do. Um, and, and those folks need to have a livelihood. So any donations that people want to make, it's they can go to thorne.org. Um Secondly, I think as these privacy conversations come up, and they're going to come up from a legislative standpoint, not just in the United States and Europe and around the world. Yeah. I think I think people need to realize and recognize that end-to-end encryption is great and valuable. But there's no reason why we can't create a carve out for this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the and the architecture exists to create a carve out for this. And I think anyone who's advocating for end-to-end encryption should also advocate for a carve out for this. Yeah. Right. And, and that's one of the biggest ways that, that people can help and and hold their representatives um, to a standard that respects that those kids deserve privacy too.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And governments need to fix this. A lot of people right now are creating independent, decentralized protocols, and those protocols need to be aware of this issue as well. So it's, it's, coming, it's coming up a lot. I, I want to ask you a little bit more about the about the internet and ge- in general the dangers for children. because. You know, I th- I think obviously I think we're lucky right now. Our children aren't exposed to these to these threats, you know, ourselves at the, at the moment. But there's all sorts of other things. You know, these these me- social media companies basically are a form of drugs, right? And there's not only online predators, there's only adult content, but there's just super addictive things with Twitter and Facebook and TikTok, and it's kind of, it's kind of like being on heroin, almost the same centers your brain. So I mean, what what are you going to do with what are you going to do with your kids as a father? Are they going to be on social media? They can just they can learn how to deal with it. Or are they going to be off it until they're a certain age? How, how do you approach that?
1: Uh, I have um, a good probably six years before I have to really have to broach this issue with my kids. They're four and six right now. Um, our current policy is that if they want to be on interactive learning platforms, they can be on interacting, interactive learning platforms. Yeah. Um, and that's it. Uh, unless Unless they want to FaceTime uh, with a family member, our our other rule uh, for our six year old is, and our four year old is that they can only use technology in public places in the house. So mm-hmm. if they want to be on their iPad doing a learning game or whatever that might be, it's only in the living room. They don't get to take technology into their bedrooms mm-hmm. uh, or into any private space in the house. Um, my. And then, and then the question of whether or not they're going to go on social media—I'll cross that bridge when I get there. My guess is social media is going to be very different uh, by that point in time. How do, how
0: do you think it'll be different?
1: Well, I look at TikTok right now, um, which is probably the fastest-growing social media platform, um, and uh, and I I, I currently. I see a a massive regulatory battle on the horizon for a company like TikTok um that is powered by ByteDance which is one of the most powerful AI engines in the world in China. Yeah. Um and I think about if I'm China and I want to create a problem in uh in uh in that area of the world, uh specifically a naval problem in that area of the world. Um I, in the South China Sea, I would probably want to utilize TikTok in order to influence the minds of Americans in a anti-U.S. propaganda, anti-Taiwanese propaganda uh, effort uh, in order to make any kind of war from the United States extraordinarily unpopular in order to defend the South, the, the South yeah, China yeah. Sea. Yeah, there's all sorts
0: of ways they can manipulate our media and our, what our people think. That's
1: right. And and I think that most people um, believe that there is uh, media manipulation happening and misinformation campaigns happening, just not through their sources. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that's wrong. And I think we're about to face a reckoning in that particular domain um, that is going to probably change what social media looks like in the future, because it's my sense as an, as a fervent American is that it's getting extraordinarily dangerous for not just individuals, but for the country at large. Um, and so my sense is that, that what social media is today is not what social media is going to be in five years. Um, Uh and, and so, so I, I will, if, if the trend line continues on the path that it's on today, my kids will not be on social media if the trend line pivots um as i think it likely will there's a chance that i will allow them to use it and then the day will come where they're going to do what they want to do and they'll be extraordinarily educated as to how um people can manipulate the way you think yeah um
0: so, we got, so you think the new generation is going to be going to be taught is going to be taught to be ready? Because basically, these I think there's probably a generation that wasn't ready for this and it got really manipulated. Now we're going to learn. We're going to teach our kids this is how it works. This is how you're prepared. And you think it'll, and you think it won't be quite as crazy as it was. I, I, I you know, is, is this true of other trends in our society? Because I mean, there's a lot of things in our society that a lot of people say are getting pretty extreme right now. Uh, obviously, populism on both sides is one of those. Is this is this something you think is also going to turn around? Are you, or like, or, 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 like, like, how, how do you, cause it, it seems like there's a lot of these extreme trends at once, so we're kind of at a peak of craziness. Or things get a lot, you don't, you, do things get get a lot crazier? What do you what do you think happens?
1: Um, I think it's up to us, right? Um, the, the trend line's clear. Um, people are basically tribing up around various ideologies. Um. And, you know, it's, it's very easy for people to look at the QAnon thing and go, oh, that's an isolation. But if you think about domestic terrorism, I was going to try to scare terrorism. you and
0: pretend we were talking about QAnon today, by the way, when we started, but I thought it'd be in bad taste. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I'm in. Let's, let's have a chat. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm always game. Um, I, I think like domestic terrorism uh, in general, uh, international terrorism, I think um i think i think the you know it, we're we're having a conversation about what how our kids are going to interact with social media maybe we should be having a conversation about how our parents interact with social media
0: that's true they're they're more easily put into tribes than anyone right now that's right
1: or how we interact with social media so so i think that that these this extraordinary bifurcation of which sources people trust mm-hmm. um is really dangerous and 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 i would like to think that it'll correct itself um but it won't the only people that are going to correct it are are individuals that take a stand and become trusted voices um and that individuals that are willing to admit when they made a mistake and willing to admit that they're wrong willing to admit just as loudly that they misreported something as they are willing to report it in the first place. Um, and, and we're going to have to change click incentives um, so that the headline isn't, isn't uh, the most valuable piece. I, 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 I fundamentally believe that what we need more than anything is a social network that has a reputation score. Attached to every single post that an individual puts out in the world so that people will actually think about what what it is that they're sharing and saying before they say it, as opposed to after the fact.
0: Are you investing or building anything else in the space right now or you're you're looking around for something like that?
1: I'm not I'm not building anything. Uh, I'm always looking for an investment that um, is a viable platform that associates a reputation score. I think that there's some promise in the uh, decentralized social networks that are being built where there's actual currency that's associated with every post that people are putting out. Um, And I think that that currency could start to represent a reputation score. Um, But I haven't seen that wholesale built yet. Got it.
0: And before I finish Ashton, I want to ask obviously, you've done a lot of great venture capital work, investing in innovation. Uh, you interact with lots of entrepreneurs. Like what encourages you the most about the future of America from, from this work you're doing with entrepreneurs?
1: I think there's no end to the creative creativity um, that is spawned from this country and from young people in this country. Um, I think our education system uh, remains our second, our secondary education system remains um, unrivaled in the world. Um, I think, uh, I think the most promising thing overall is that um, the, the next generation of entrepreneurs um, are are more mission driven and philanthropically aligned um, with their values, um, than I've ever seen. Um, I, I get really excited when I speak with young entrepreneurs that are building things uh, as to just how truly mission driven they are. And I think that, that in large part, the experience culture, um, or the experience economy that has led young people to travel around and see a lot of the rest of the world. brings them back to ideas that are globally conscious um, and philanthropically minded. That's
0: awesome. Well, that means a lot coming from you as someone who's built uh, an organization that's you know, saved thousands of kids. If if you find other missions that are also worthwhile, that, that that's a pretty high bar, obviously.
1: Well, we have lots of them, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, re- lot of, there's re- a lot re- of good re- stuff re- to re- recidiviz do. Recidiviz is another great one to talk about.
0: Clementine's doing good work there, trying to help how make our prisons and our criminal justice system work better. Now, you and I are involved in a few good ones. She's that's, that's that's a big one for me. I want I want to hold the people running these prisons accountable, so I want to measure them. Then I want there's certain prisons where people are doing great, and there's certain prisons where everyone comes back, and may, maybe someone else should be running that the one where everyone comes back. You know, a
1: lot I, of- I just found this organization called Him for Her, um, that's that's helping to create equity in in, in the boardroom, uh, for companies, that's, which that's I think cool. is an extraordinary um extraordinary organization and a and like a beautiful place to start in creating equity um uh and diversity in boardrooms um that that's that's another good one that actually um i think it's the right way to approach equity and inclusion um
0: that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. If you could do it, if you could do it in a way that brings on qualified people and people are all focused on making sure they're considering them without making tokens, right. There's always the trade off there. You gotta, you gotta get it. Well,
1: and also, way. and also creating networks that, that allow for that to happen. creating networking that allow for that to happen. Right. Like most people don't ask the question of like, how does a board get built at a company? And usually it's someone who knows someone who knows someone who knows someone. And then when you go down the list of like, who do you know? yeah check and see how diverse and inclusive it is
0: of course everyone i i know a bunch of my buddies in there yeah there's some of them are women but more of them are men so of course that's that's part of the problem
1: and and so so i think this organization's really strong and and super valuable and then and then we've got to fix foster care joe that's that's a huge one
0: well that ties into a lot of the same problems that thorne faces too, unfortunately, given how broken it is right now. There's there's a lot there to do.
1: It's a wellspring for incarceration. It's a wellspring for human trafficking. It's a wellspring for child sexual exploitation. It's a wellspring for high school dropouts. It's a wellspring for early pregnancy. It's a wellspring. It's if maybe if we fix that, we we won't have to fix all of the variable downstream entitlements that come as a part and part and parcel of that being broken. That's well say. Yeah, we got a lot to do, Joe.
0: We got we got we got we got a lot of good stuff to work on. Thank you, Ashton. Ashton, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat today. I'll uh, I'll hope to see you next month in Montana.
1: Hey, let's do it.